Amos chapter 6 and verse number 1. Woe to them that are at ease in Zion. Woe to them that are at ease in Zion. And trust in the mountains of Samaria, which are named chief of the nations to whom the house of Israel came. I want to borrow just the first portion of this verse tonight. I promise you that I won't... uh, that I will not be hermeneutically unsound by using just a portion of this verse. But I want to use this first part. Woe to them that are at ease. At ease. Everybody say at ease. Zion is type and shadow in the Old Testament of the church. It's speaking here prophetically to Israel. But it's type and shadow in the Old Testament of the church. And so if I could turn it this way and it would be pleasing to the Lord tonight that I wouldn't take the scripture out of context. I believe that we could say this without uh, any lack of confidence whatsoever. Woe to them that are at ease in the body of Christ. Woe to them that are at ease in the body of Christ. And I want to preach to you tonight with the help of the Lord that cruise control is not an option. Cruise control is not an option. You believe that? Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. I remember a time when I felt like uh, I was the youngest man in every room that I went in. You know, I was I was the young preacher, and um, I was either in a room in a meeting as R.B. Bingham's grandson or Danny St. Clair's son, and that was kind of the way it was. It's uh, it's Brother St. Clair's boy, and. Uh, I remember those times uh, when I was a kid. Now, this is going to mess with some of you young people because you have no clue what this means. But believe it or not, I remember when air conditioning was an option on a car. Every vehicle, just about, at at one point, the, the only option that you had was that 255 air conditioning. Come on, how many of you know about that 255? You roll down two windows and go 55. That was was the air condition. Uh, My Uncle Mike Bingham bought a brand new 1979 Ford F-150 with the straight six 300 four-speed. And that's the best engine Ford ever made, in my opinion. And uh, my first truck had that in it. And uh, I remember when they started making a retrofit air conditioner for the 79 Ford. My Uncle Mike went to the dealership, and man, it was big time. I remember the module. I remember what it looked like. It had the three knobs on it, and it was just a little square box that stuck up on the dash. And I remember when the old Ford got air conditioning. I'll never forget it. It finally became an option for the car. But uh, I've traveled a lot of miles in my lifetime and in my ministry. And uh, I told my family some time ago on the road just in passing, I said, you know what? I wish when I was a kid and started traveling for ministry that I would have started a logbook like I have for my piloting. I wish I would have started a logbook. I'd like to know. At almost 42 years old, how many thousands of miles I've traveled for the Lord. 
be, it'd be crazy. Been a lot of miles. And one of the things that I'm so grateful for in traveling, and I believe if I don't get an amen anywhere else, I may get one right here. I'm grateful for cruise control. Come on, somebody. You can be seated. You don't have to run on that. I'm grateful for cruise control. I like it. Now they got cruise control set up on new cars that you just touch the button and, and you can set the distance that you want to be from the car in front of you. That if you're on cruise control, when you get too close, it'll put the brakes on for you, let off the accelerator. I'm telling you all right now, Bishop would burn one of them up. If my dad had that kind of cruise control, he probably does on his Lincoln, but it saved the floorboard from my mother stomping on it. I'm just telling you right now, that cruise control is nice. But it keeps, it keeps getting more and more and more crazy. Uh, when Tesla came out, uh, and this is kind of the blending of two worlds for me, Tesla's cruise control is called autopilot. I'm going to tell you, as an instrument-rated pilot, I'm thankful for an autopilot. It makes it nice when you're trying to get out of the clouds and you can't see, and you just turn the autopilot on let it fly the approach for you. But Tesla's got this thing called autopilot on their cars. And autopilot on the car, what that means is you set the cruise control, and then you take your hands off the steering wheel if you so please, of which at no point I would ever do that. Now, I've done the dad eat a burger cruise control where you drive with your knee. Come on, don't y'all be lying. You've done it too. That right to the Taco Bell's the game changer on that, folks. If you can eat a Taco Bell and drive with your knee at the same time, you belong in the NASCAR Hall of Fame. Amen. But uh, this autopilot thing is really interesting because I have personally seen it. I don't know if you guys have noticed this and... Uh, our LEOs in here probably are familiar with this, uh, but you know people like to text these days while they're driving. And autopilot's not good for those people because they will literally turn that on on their Tesla and there's videos of it. All, just look it up on YouTube, preferably not while I'm preaching. But if you look it up after church, look up people on their phones in a Tesla on autopilot. They watch movies driving down the road, text on their phone, watch Sports Center, whatever they want to do, put it on autopilot. And uh, just a few months ago, I was reading an article about a, I believe it was a doctor in uh, North Carolina that had her on autopilot, was flying down the highway, and a police officer had pulled somebody off on the right-hand side of the road, and whatever the function was in autopilot, was not functioning as it should with the police officer there on the side of the road. And the guy was watching a movie on his way home and his Tesla clipped the vehicle that was on the side of the road. Could have killed an officer or whoever was in that vehicle. It, it's like we went from, uh, from actually having to hold a gas pedal down, which is so foreign. But I was in the truck. Dad, when you drove that 79 Ford, four-speed no cruise control from Anderson all the way through to Carlsbad, New Mexico all night, straight through. Holding that old stiff accelerator pedal down and I was in the middle, the four-speed, because LeBannon was a bully and he, he had to sit on the window and sleep. 
Neither one of us had our license, so Dad had to drive all the way from here to Carlsbad. And he would pull over on the side of the road, and he'd jump out, and he'd start grabbing his leg like that. I said, Man, what's going on? He said, I got a cramp in my leg from pushing that thing down all night. And it was a cramp because he pushed it as hard as he'd go on the floor. But we went from that to people reading books while they're driving. But there really was a time when cruise control was not an option. You couldn't get it put on your vehicle. But over time, as we have uh, advanced more with technology, what we realize is that technology doesn't always make us better. It doesn't always make us smarter. It makes us do some silly things. And uh, it's going to sound like I'm being hard at first, but I'm not being hard. But I want to tell you, technology's made us lazy. Everybody's complaining. I know it's going to happen sooner or later, but everybody's complaining about AI taking over. Well, they're going to get AI to take over because nobody wants to go to work. Sad. Can't get people to work. I was in Sacramento the other night, uh, middle of the night when our flight got canceled. I got to the airport and had a sweet girl that worked for the airline that was willing to talk a little bit. And I said, hey, could you tell me why our flight got canceled? And she hesitated and took a deep breath and she said, sir, we didn't have enough crew to fly the flight. We don't have enough people to work. So we had to cancel 200 people and move them around, put them on other flights because there was nobody to work. And I, I, I'm telling you that we've come to a place where it wouldn't hurt some of us to know what a little old-fashioned back-breaking work is like. You know, they used to dig ditches before they had backhoes. Come on, somebody. They used to build cities without excavators. It's because people had to be invested in it. And Amos was prophesying to the children of God and he said, whoa. Now this is a strong word in your Bible. Woe is not just like what you would say to a horse that you're trying to. It's not just like, whoa, take it easy. Woe is a word. It's almost offensive. It is so abrasive that it's almost offensive. It's like, it's like God is literally cracking the whip through the prophet of God. And he smites it on the ground and he says, woe to them. That are at ease in Zion. Why are they at ease? Because they're blessed with everything they need. They've got above and beyond everything they ever dreamed that they would have. And there is a sense that comes to people in life that once they get to a certain plateau, it's like they've arrived and there's nowhere else to go. And I want to tell you before God and everybody in this room tonight and everybody that will hear this message and the echo of it. There is no such place as arriving in the kingdom of God. You don't ever arrive at a place in the kingdom of God where God is finished with you and you've done everything that God has for you to do. There is no such thing as seniority in the kingdom of God. 
Uh, this is going to frustrate some people right here, but it frustrated the st in the story that Jesus told. It frustrated the people. He said there were folks that worked all day long and then people that came in in the middle of the day and some that came in right before they quit. And he said the people that came in at the end of the day got the same pay as the ones that started working early on on the job. And it frustrated people because the folks that came in at the end of the day got the same pay. That is a beautiful picture of the kingdom of God. Heaven is not going to be any more special for you if you live for God for 40 years than it is for somebody that comes in five minutes before the trumpet sounds. What we need to know is it's time to get on the boat. It's time to get ready. I don't care if you serve God five minutes. That's five minutes early enough. We got to get you on the boat. Well, pastor, I've lived all my life away from God, and I don't have much left to offer God. Listen, you've got plenty to offer God. If you've got air in your lungs, if you're a breathing breath tonight, you've got something God wants. God wants all of you tonight. Don't you let the devil tell you you've spent all of your life, and you've got nothing to offer God. I rebuke that in the name of Jesus. It's time for you to come on in the house. It's time for you to get on this boat tonight, this old glorious gospel ship. And so I'm going to just be really transparent with you tonight and talk to you from my heart. But I feel like it's super easy for us. Um, we, are, we are oversaturated in the Pentecostal movement with inspiration. We are always being inspired. We go to conferences to be inspired. We come to church to be inspired and uh, I'm not asking anybody to raise your hand. Please don't. But I've had conversations with people. They're like, man, it's been a long week, Pastor. I had to come get inspired today. And, and, and we live our lives literally from service to service and meeting to meeting and sermon to sermon so that we can get inspired. Everybody doing all right? But I want to tell you that inspiration usually expires about the time that perspiration expires. When the preacher has stood up here and preached and sweat through my clothes and, and my, my, my shoes are squishy from sweat in my socks, about the time I get home and get cleaned up, you've already forgot what inspired us. I do the same thing. Somebody said, man, what'd you preach last week? I don't know. I, it's horrible. What'd you preach last I don't have a clue. And I got to go back and look at what I preached last week. Listen, it's easy to get inspired. But I feel like where we are right now in the kingdom of God is that God is not calling us to more inspiration. God is calling us to a spirit of activation. God is calling us to activate the things that have inspired us. Listen, I'm tired of hearing preachers preach about change. I'm ready to change. I'm tired of hearing sermons about revival. Let's have revival. I'm tired of hearing about harvest. Let's go get the harvest. Oh God, everybody doing good? Woe to them that are at ease. This word ease in the Hebrew is sha'anon. This is a very interesting word because the word does not just mean secure. It means a word of security, but 
What's so crazy about this word at ease is so very interesting to me. I was studying this today and my mind was just going. I've, I've, I've been talking to God, trying to be as transparent as I can be with God. Listen, I'm tired. This was an old song that we used to sing back in the day. But I'm tired of being stirred and not being changed. Ooh, that was worth at least three amens. I said, I'm tired of being stirred but not being changed. I'm tired of goosebumps, but it not moving me to do anything. I believe God is calling the church away from just exhilaration. This word ease does not just mean secure, but it says specifically, and I quote, secure in a bad sense. I quote, secure in a bad sense. And the synonym of this word, in, as is clearly defined, is the word haughty. Woe to them that are secure in a bad way. The, the prophet said, because you are arrogant. Come on, think about it. You told me we could push a little bit tonight. He said, woe to them that are arrogant in your spirit because you've become comfortable in the place that you are. Folks, hear your pastor tonight when I tell you that there is no greater sense of pride than feeling like God has done everything for you that he can do. You do know there was an angel one time in the heavenlies that started getting a prideful spirit. And he said, you know, Lord, I believe that everything you've been doing, I can do. The Bible said he began to try to elevate himself in the presence of the Lord. What was it? It was a spirit of pride and the Lord cast him out of heaven. Folks, please understand my heart tonight. I'm here to be sincere with you. I want my heart and my spirit to be right at deliverance. But listen, we don't hear enough preaching anymore. There's too much crazy stuff out there about eternal security and, and, and too many folks out there that are saying, well, once you're in, you're in. Listen, that's a lie from the pits of hell if once you're in you're in Lucifer would have never been out it's easy for us to get at ease in Zion because we're baptized in Jesus name and we're filled with the Holy Ghost but God's will for us was never to just arrive at the new birth and stay right there in a new birthing place how many of you believe we must be born again that's not my idea. That's God's idea. You must be born again. Now, I've used this before, but I, I, I'll tell you, I don't know how else to go about this. And it paints a mental picture for me that I, I just can't help but laugh. But, you know, if we all treated our lives with God, uh, treated our, 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 our human lives the way we treat our walk with God, there'd be a lot of grown adults walking around in diapers. Now, don't let that make you vomit. I mean, seriously, could you imagine me walking up here to preach tonight in some huggies? I know some folks thought I said I was fed by my grandfather till I was 17 on Sunday, but I said 7 to 10. 7 to 10. 7, seven to 10. Somebody say 7 to 10. <laughs> I 
I had a precious sister say to me tonight, she said, I was like, I'm not okay with that. That's 17 years old, sitting on his granddad's lap, getting fed. That's odd. It's true. That's weird. I ain't gonna lie. It's a little bit awkward. But it's also a little bit awkward to serve the Lord for years and years and years. And the only thing that we'll take is the milk, the sincere milk of the Word of God. You know, it's a tough place to be. And I hope you all know my spirit tonight. I'm not here to rub you the wrong way. I'm just saying there comes a time in your life that you've got to grow up as a man and as a woman and take responsibility. This is a generation of people that are 35, 40 years old living in their parents' basement. Playing video games, that's, it goes back, to, that's why people don't want to work. It's so weird, I, I, don't, I don't know. I'm not talking about hardworking people saving money. That's not, my kids can stay as long as they want to stay. If they're working and they're doing good and they're trying. Listen, we got to get past this in the church. We've got to grow in the grace of God. We would think it was strange to see a 30-year-old man, please don't think I'm being crude, but to see a 30-year-old man still being fed by his mother's breast. You understand what I'm saying? And, and God has to feel that way sometimes. When we get into the meat of the word of God, and we're like, no, I don't want that. That offends me because I don't want to grow. I don't want to go deeper. I don't, I don't want to go further. I like being right here, church family. If we're not careful, we're going to stay in this same spot where we're at and learn to be content. But the prophet said, that's a haughty spirit. It's an arrogant spirit that feels like you've arrived and there's no place else for you to go. It's a, it, it, it's a spirit that gets a hold of us and makes us feel like because we're not drinking anymore and we're not drugging anymore, then we're all right. Can I preach to y'all tonight? I know I've heard from the Lord, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell you what I believe. I sincerely believe that if you are not growing in God, you're already in the process of backsliding. Come on, this is some strong meat right here. This is the strong meat. The apostle said it's the strong meat of the word of God. And I'm going to preach some meat that will be fat to your bones tonight. If you're not growing in God, it's a move in the wrong direction. If you've been serving the Lord for six months, a year, 24 months, and you're still struggling in a 15-minute prayer session with God, we're moving in the wrong direction. Church family, listen to me. It's, it's the way that we're wired. People that were addicted can tell you it's a fact. Whatever they were addicted to, there was a time in their life if they were a drug addict, whatever they took, heroin, pills, whatever, that it was the first thing on their mind when they got up in the morning to get their day started. They had to go to the bottle. They had to go to the syringe. They had to go to the alcohol closet, whatever it was. It was the first thing on their mind. And oftentimes the last thing on their mind when they go to bed. Yet we can say that we are addicted to the presence of the Lord and lay down 
in bed at night and realize I haven't talked to him once today. I haven't been in his word today. Listen, the devil wants you to believe that that's okay. But I've come to preach to you, FPC. Woe to them that are at ease in the body of Christ. reason why we we get at ease is because God keeps on moving when this church gets hungry there is nothing in the world in the heavens or the earth that can stop this church you hear me when you people are hungry it's what I feel in this church right now is absolutely astounding the hunger that I feel in this church is insane, but but I, I, I've been thanking the Lord for this church. I've been thanking the Lord for what He's doing. I've been thanking the Lord for where we at, and I felt that little nudge from the Holy Ghost today, saying, "Thank, thank you for thanking me. Thank you for having a grateful heart." But are you happy? Are you satisfied? Do you believe this is all that I've got for you? Come on, is this too much for a Wednesday night? I've come to preach the heart of God to this church. If we're not careful, we're going to get satisfied with the good feeling that we have here on Sundays and Wednesdays. And after a while, that fire is going to start to burn out. I'm pushing you tonight. I'm urging you, church, whatever you got to do, get as close to the fire as you can get. If you got to get up earlier every morning of your life, do whatever you got to do to get up close to the fire and stay hot. talk about we talk about spiritual warfare but most of us have an idea of spiritual warfare that looks like hiding behind our shield of faith while the enemy shoots fiery darts at us that is not God's idea of spiritual warfare Jesus said upon this rock I'll build my church and what he say the gates of hell shall not prevail why does he liken it to the gates of hell. And I'll tell you why. This is, this is 101 spiritual warfare right here. You ready? Gates don't move. Gates don't move. This has never been about, oh, the devil's been attacking me and I sure hope the Lord's got my back. Listen, spiritual warfare is not us just standing back defending ourselves from every little thing the devil tries to do to us. Jesus paints a beautiful picture for us that the church of the living God, this is the first time that the word church is even used in the New Testament scripture. And the word is ecclesia. It literally means the government of God in the earth. We are God's government in the earth. And God's idea of government in the earth is not standing back saying, devil, don't you do that. Devil, don't you touch me. Devil, don't you do that to my family. The Lord said, I've given you power to tread upon the lion, the adder, and the dragon. He said, I've given you power to storm the gates of hell, knowing that when you do, the gates of hell shall not prevail. I'm preaching to you tonight, it's time to get bold in the spirit. I'm preaching to you tonight, it's time to get bold when we pray. It's time to get bold when we ask. Now this is going to require some seat belts right here, so get ready. I'm going to tell you, 
I can never keep you plugged in as your pastor. That may be some of the best preaching I'll do all night right there. It is not the job of this pulpit to keep you hot in the Holy Ghost. I've never seen anybody disconnect from the church that is actively pursuing God on a daily basis. I've never seen somebody spend hours in prayer every week with God and fast a day, at least a day a week, and spend time with God that's so carnal that you can't keep them around and there's nothing you can do. Hey, listen, I'm going to tell you, people start getting carnal when they get cold. Maybe I ought to preach about miracles for a minute because we like that. You know why God's leading people all across this nation? Because this nation is cold. And he's leading cold people to come to the fire of his spirit. God is leading. I want us to make this personal right now. I want everybody in this room to say this with me. God is leading me closer to his heart. God is leading me closer to his heart. He is leading me closer to his spirit. Closer to what he's saying. Listen, if we get distance from God, then God's got to yell at us to get our attention. But when we sit in a posture like John did where our head is close to his chest, all it takes is that gentle whisper of the Spirit of God that says, hey, I want you to be close to me. And you'll hear the voice of God. It's hard to hear the voice of God through AirPods. Pastor, you're preaching so good. It's hard to hear the voice of God with a radio cranked all the time with news radio. Come on, somebody. It's hard to hear the voice of God listening to podcasts all day long. It's hard to hear the voice of God through ABC, CBS, CNN, CNBC. It's hard to hear the voice of God. If you're going to hear the voice of God, you got to go to the place where God is speaking and listen to what he's saying. Woe to them that are at ease, at ease in Zion. I believe that if you're not moving in the direction that God wants for your life, you're moving in the wrong direction even if you're standing still. There's got to be something in us that hungers. And I believe it's here tonight. I really do. I feel this in this church right now. We hunger for more of God. We hunger for a deeper place in His presence. We hunger to go further than we've ever gone. Listen, my mind has been blown, literally blown this week as I think about the things that I have beheld with my own eyes the last few days. The things that I've seen. Listen, nobody, nobody gets the credit for what God's doing when God's the one that's doing it. Any preacher, any pastor, any evangelist that would try to take the glory for what God's doing right now is full of pride. 
What God is doing in the earth, it is so pure. It is so powerful. But it is not a call for us to celebrate. God is not leading us into the revival that we're walking in right now so that we can celebrate revival. God is leading us to a place because his word said that to whom much is given, much is required. The reason why we feel like God is giving us so much in the spirit realm right now is because much is required of us. This is not the call to live. It's the call to die. Anybody hearing what I'm saying tonight? This is not the call to live. It's the call to die. Anybody in here ever been on a fast and had to remind yourself that you were fasting? Oh, is it really time to eat? I forgot. Yesterday, I was doing some running around with my dad, and uh, we had a couple things on our agenda that we wanted to get done. He said, you want to eat now? And it was like late morning, and I said, no, sir, I'll just, I'll just eat when we're done. And so I ate at about 3 o'clock. Well, Wednesday, uh, Wednesday is our normal fast day. We fast from Tuesday night. To Wednesday night. And then we eat before service. And uh, today, we were supposed to eat at 3 o'clock. Now yesterday, I went till 3 o'clock and just stayed busy. Doing what we were doing. It's like time just kept ticking away. But today, you better call somebody. <laughs> Woo! Oh, my, my, my. There is a word called hangry. All the students of PCA that know when your teacher's fast day is, just say amen. Because it's different on Wednesdays and Thursdays, isn't it? I mean, except for Sister Marcy. Nobody ever knows. You're so precious all the time. Ain't that right, Tyler? I'm sorry I couldn't hear you. You understand what I'm saying? When you're, when you're doing something for God, you don't have to. Pastor, I just, I just don't really know if I'm, if I'm even doing anything for God. How comfortable are you? Because if you're chilled, at ease, don't feel moved to pray. Don't feel moved to go deeper. I'm not saying this to be ugly. I'm just saying you're not doing anything for God. Because the moment you start making progress, there is a constant pushback from the powers of darkness. That's why every time you sit down to watch a video, three hours passes by. But you walk into a prayer room, you're like, man, surely I've been in here an hour. You're like, seven minutes? So you stand there and look at your watch and go, Jesus, 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 hallelujah, hallelujah, Jesus, 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 oh, Jesus. And you're praying for somebody to interrupt you. Open the door. Hey, yes, I'll go to lunch. I didn't invite you to lunch. 
But there is, there is a principle that I got to get to you tonight. I'm, I'm going to hurry. I don't, I don't, there are times, I, I want to be sure this is crystal clear because I don't want you to misconstrue what I'm saying or misunderstand. There are times that prayer feels easier. You understand what I'm saying? Where you tap in faster. But I've never gone to prayer in my life undistracted. Ever. Not once in my life that I can recall ever going to prayer undistracted. If you're going to go to prayer, something is going to be pulling for your attention. And we laugh about it and it is funny. But if you're going to go on a fast, somebody will offer you dinner that's never took you to dinner. That's the only day they drop off strawberry pie is on the day you start a five-day fast. Because there's a constant war in the spirit. That when you start making way, the enemy's pushing back on you. I know this is elementary for some of you, but somebody's going to get this tonight. Pastor, the reason I don't like doing that is every time I start doing that, the devil's fighting. Hey, let me push pause right there. I want to remind you of something. N number one, if he's fighting, it's because you're doing the right thing. Number two, if he's fighting, you just remember this. You always win. No weapon formed. Hallelujah. Sometimes when I go to the prayer closet, the main reason I'm going is because I wake up to make the devil mad. I want the devil every day that my feet hit the floor to say, oh no, he's awake again. Every day that I wake up, I want the prince and power of the air that's over this city, the principalities that are over this city to say, oh, great God, give us relief because our worst nightmare has awakened again. Listen, you are the church of the living God. You are the only thing in the earth that's holding back the spirit of Antichrist. It's time to get encouraged and get on the move. Buy the truth and sell it not. But you need to know when you buy into this vehicle, cruise control is not an option. You don't, you don't get to pay a little bit extra and get some. Oh my. Philippians, the third chapter, if you would please. Philippians, the third chapter. Philippians chapter 3. In verse number 13, everybody doing all right? I know I'm in the Holy Ghost. I feel it tonight. I feel that old flesh fighting and pushing back a little bit. You know what we're going to do, though? We're going to grab ourselves by the nap of the neck. And we're going to pray whatever it costs. And we're going to worship whatever it costs. And we're going to put the enemy on the run. How many of you believe that? Four and thir uh, three, chapter 3 of Philippians, in verse number 13. I love this. Brethren, who's he writing to? The church. I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do. 
Why does he say one thing? Anybody in here that could teach a master class on multitasking? Come on. I know you ladies can do it. You can whoop kids, throw the laundry in, vacuum the floor, and not, never move from three-foot space. You've heard me tell about it. My mother, when she was teaching us here in the church, we came up to the church every day for school. My mom would walk in the basement back and forth. She'd walk out a couple miles every day. Brother Gray, ain't never seen anything like it. My mother could prophesy when I got out of my chair. She was downstairs. There's no way she knew. Holy Ghost had to tell her. Because I had ninja feet. I'd get up out of that desk. Could nobody, nobody care. I could have I snuck up on a pack of angels. My feet would hit the floor. Luke, Daniel! I'm like, my God, Mom, you were just talking in tongues. My mom would walk backwards. I'm not kidding. She'd walk backwards down the hallway, read her watch, talk in tongues, and pray for you at the same time. I know you could do it. But the apostle said, y'all read it with me now. This, I'm going to try it one more time. This, this one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind me and reaching forth to those things which are before. What's the one thing he does? Let's go to 14. Come on. I. I. I felt something in this room when y'all said that. I. Press. With all I got. I don't have time to look over my shoulder because I'm doing one thing. I don't have time to think about where I've been because I'm, I'm doing one thing. Oh God. I wish this would fall in this room right now. This one thing I do. I press. This word press is dioko. In the Greek it's a powerful word. Because it's not, it is not just a verb, but it literally implicates to pursue, and listen to this, I love this, to pursue and to persecute. This one thing I do, I am pressing and I am persecuting the devil. When I stop looking over my shoulder and I put my head down and I start pressing, I'm putting all kinds of pressure on the devil. It means literally to run or to flee, to put to flight, to drive away. Do you know why he said this one thing I do? He said as long as I'm pressing, I'm driving away. Pastor, the devil's been on my back. Then we got to get to pressing. Hey, I don't want to oversimplify this tonight, but it's hard to hit a moving target. 
When we sit still and we get stagnant and we're at ease in Zion, all the powers of hell can rest on us. But if I'm on the move and saying, I'm pressing today, I'm pressing today, devil, if you're going to get me, you're going to have to come after me in the prayer room. If you're going to get me, you're going to have to come after me while I'm teaching a Bible study because I'm pressing. When the devil comes and tells you how bad it's going to be, you got the authority to say, hold that thought, stupid, because I'm going to go over here and teach the word of God to somebody. You're not going to tell me how it's going to be because you don't determine what my next move is, devil. I've got authority over you. I've got victory over you, and I'm pressing. <laughs> Woo, somebody shout yes. yes. I hurry to a close. I want to say this tonight as I hurry. There is a state of mind that we've got to destroy in the church. Man, I hope y'all are feeling what I'm feeling. I hope everybody's doing good because I feel good in the Holy Ghost. But we are not trying to arrive at a state where we're not sinning anymore. What do you mean by that, Pastor? I mean, it seems to me like People stop and celebrate when they start living for God and they say, well, at least I don't do what I used to do anymore. Are you with me? It's like the place of celebration is I'm not a drunk anymore. I, 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 you know, whatever you want to say. I'm, I'm not sleeping around anymore. I, don't, I stopped all of that. I'm not doing that anymore. Listen. That is not the state of arrival. That's the beginning stages of victory. Now this is going to sound like a lot of pressure because I believe we've got to let God work. And I preach y'all often from the, the, the context of don't skin a fish before you get it in the boat. I understand that. But listen, we ought to stop sinning when we repent. We should. I mean, that's, that's kind of the principle. When we repent of our sins, get baptized in Jesus' name, we ought to quit sinning. But we're, pro we're probably going to mess up. But I don't stand around and celebrate all the time and say, well, at least I'm not an alcoholic. Listen, that is a spirit, an old spirit of condemnation that hangs over people. Because it constantly reminds you of what you used to be. Lord, I feel this in the Holy Ghost. There's a prophetic anointing on me right now to tell somebody. The will of God is not for you to stand around all the time looking at what you used to be and say, thank God I'm at least not that. Because the will of God is for you to find out what God wants you to be. I'm not always looking at what I used to be. I finally got the vision of what God wants. That's how you become more than a conqueror. I didn't just conquer sin. Now I'm living in victory. You know what that looks like? Taking whatever God delivered you from and using your testimony to see others delivered from that same thing. I'm talking about an army of people that God picked you up out of the miry clay and set your feet on a solid rock. You got to go tell somebody. Let's stand together. Listen. 
If I could break this down tonight, Gerber style, and just get it in your spirit where you can digest this. Thank God for deliverance, but I'm not going to stop and celebrate at deliverance. I'm ready to move from deliverance to full blast, full blown victory. Well, look here. God, God delivered me from all those things I used to do. On, set, relax. Nope. It's not an option. We're going to have to put our hands on the wheel. We have to be proactive in this thing. Can I, can I tell you tonight that the will of God is for us to move from the state of being reactive to a state of being proactive. Where I'm not constantly reacting to a mistake, but I'm proactive because I'm tapped into the Spirit of God. And when I see the enemy coming in like a flood, I say, Lord, I need a standard. Praise God. I want to see revival. But if I can say this respectfully tonight, I don't just want to stand around and talk about revival. I, uh, <laughs> I want to see harvest. I don't want to just dance with other people that like to talk about harvest. I am ready to see God move like I've never seen it in my life. But I'm going to have to take it off cruise control and say, Lord, wherever you're going, whatever you're doing, whenever you're doing it, help me stay tapped in. God, whatever you're doing, don't do it without me. Come on, let's pray right now. God, whatever you're doing, whatever you're doing, God, don't do it without me. I want to see your power. I want to see your glory. I want to see your victory, oh great God. <laughs> hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh God. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. God, help us to press tonight. Help us to press. Help us to press. Oh, God, don't let us be distracted by the enemy tonight. Let us press. Let us press. Let us press. Come on, church. Let's reach our hearts towards the Lord right now. Great God. Great God. Great God. Great God. I press. I press. I press. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. If you're hungry for the Lord tonight, just let out a victory shout in this room. Come on, let out a victory shout in this room. Woo! Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah.